Well, first of all, good to be home uh, from some time away. Uh, we've had just a very relaxing, encouraging time. Isaiah, if you wouldn't mind just putting the lights on just a little bit, that'd be great. And then last weekend, uh, we were in, uh, out in Steinbeck, Manitoba, uh, at a church renewal conference. And, and uh, that kind of was just the icing on the cake, uh, being part of a huge church uh, way out in a town uh, an hour south of Winnipeg, uh, observing uh, how God is at work there. And, you know, uh, remember what Nathaniel said, uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> and I thought, you know, uh, that's what they're saying about Steinbach, Manitoba. Can anything good come out of Steinbach, Manitoba? And uh, I think we all agree that uh, some great things are happening in this little prairie town. A church of about 4,000 people, uh, about 10,000, you know, and something is really happening there in Steinbach, Manitoba. Uh, I know we're getting a little feedback, but it'll, it'll ease out a little bit. Uh, I, I wanted to tell you a whole bunch of stories because kind of when you come home, you want to tell all the stories, and I know that we just don't have the time to do that uh, this morning, but, but gradually I'll, I'll fit them in in the weeks to come. So let me just get started this morning. Uh, oh, first... There is something going on this afternoon that I, I know some of you will be tuning into that, that thing called Super Bowl. And uh, you, if you saw the, some of the social media yesterday, yeah, here it is. You should be as excited about church as about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. <laughs> now you don't have to do everything I say or anything like that. Just, uh, you can just say amen, but uh, good point. There is a sermon outline in your Sunday news this morning, if that would be helpful for you as you follow along. And since Easter comes a little earlier this year, we're going to launch a new series of messages beginning today. It's just going to help us focus on the theme of Easter, but even more importantly, to invite the Spirit of God to do yet another work of shaping in our hearts. And, and so, real, real simple, the next eight weeks are built around the theme of of heart shaping. And we know that that's what God's all about in our lives. I mean, throughout our whole journey, that that's what God's trying to do in our, in our lives. He's trying to shape our hearts, and he's trying to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, and would just open with me to chapter 25, uh, we're going to basically stay in the Gospel of Matthew for the next eight weeks, but start at 25 and work our way to Easter Sunday, which will be uh, chapter 28. Now, the message, uh, as you've seen by video, uh, the scripture, uh, maybe uh, could best be illustrated by the life of a firefighter. It may sound a little strange, but I, I have a, more of an upfront view of a firefighter lately since uh, my son-in-law joined uh, Edmonton Fire and Rescue about a year ago. And I've watched him uh, learning the ropes. And I've seen him go all through all the rigorous training that's involved. And it, it was far more than I ever thought it was. I knew it was rigorous, but it, it is very rigorous. And yet I think very, very rewarding uh, at the same time. And firefighters are trained and equipped 
to fight fires and to rescue people from car crashes and uh, all kinds of things. They know there will be fires. They know there will be accidents, but that they just don't know when. And so they're in a constant state of readiness even when they sleep. Their gear is all laid out so they can quickly dress and get to the scene of a fire or accident in, in minutes. And then, you know, sometimes you see a fire truck parked outside a Max or a 7-Eleven or a Safeway or whatever. I don't know if they go to donut shops. I don't think they do. But uh, they always have radios in hand ready to rush out. And, you know, and sometimes if they're shopping, what their boss says to them, drop everything. If you, if, you, if you get a call, just drop everything and run and get to the truck and go. So they're prepared and they operate in a state of readiness. And here's a parable this morning. I wouldn't doubt that Jesus would have used a firefighting parable if he was speaking this in the 21st century. Instead, he used a uh, wedding illustration. And we all like weddings and uh, we all uh, can relate to that. But let me just first say a quick word about parables so that we start on the same base. If you're fairly new to reading the Bible, you may or may not be familiar with, with parables. A parable is simply a word picture. A parable is simply an image which uses uh, 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 this image to illustrate uh, a truth or a lesson. And our Lord was a master at it. Uh, he used it all the time. He would tell a little story that people could relate to, like planting seeds in the ground, and everybody said, oh, I get that. I get what he's trying to say. And it's a story. It's a metaphor, and usually about God, usually about the kingdom of God, just to help you understand. Uh, so there's a double meaning when you read a parable, though. There's the meaning of the actual little story that we all get very quickly, and because we get that story, it helps us to get the spiritual truth. And so there is beneath the parable a surface, uh, below-the-surface lesson. But the key about parables is not to try to have them walk on all fours. They usually are just making one point. Uh, we can dissect them uh, and dissect them to the point where we lose really the essence of what the parable is all about. We always ask, what's the key point? What is the parable trying to say? I read just this week the uh, uh, story of the Prince of Wales and a little visit he made to a town in England. Sometimes royalty likes to do this. They just like to, to head off into uh, a neighborhood or a, a city and drop in on somebody and they come unannounced. And so he dropped in. He didn't know the uh, family and it was just a surprise visit. And it happened to be uh, a home of a working man in industry. And next day, this man... Uh, this that was uh, works in industry. He he told his friends. He said, "I, I just I just never expected him, uh, nor did my wife. And the house was a mess. It was untidy, and I hadn't I hadn't cleaned up for the day. And he said, "We'll never quite forgive ourselves for not being ready when royalty came to our house. If we had known he was coming, we would have been ready for him. Of course." And that's the point that Jesus is making. You don't know when he's coming. So extra attention is required so you go, don't get taken off guard. Uh, John Wesley was asked what he would do if he knew that his Lord would return at that time the next day. And he said, in effect, I would go to bed and go to sleep 
I'd wake up in the morning and then go on with my work, for I would want him to find me doing what he had called me to do. I would want him to find me doing what he had called me to do. And I think that is at the very heart of this parable, that he would find us doing what he called us to do. Now, there are some, I, I call them movements in this parable that I want to bring to your attention. There are four of them. The first one is a shared expectation, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now, Jewish weddings were often arranged by the parents of the bride and the groom. Uh, and if you've ever watched the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof, Roof, which I'm sure most of you have, you know that this is still a custom in certain parts of Jewish culture. Uh, the bridesmaids uh, get a little press here in this parable, and he's going to make a below-the-surface point with bridesmaids. Uh, in Oriental weddings, it was the bridegroom who would bear all the expenses of the wedding, not the father of the bride. Uh, I didn't get that memo. I don't know if you got it. Uh, <laughs> Weddings were always held at night, and it was customary for the bridegroom to go to the house of the bride and take her to the wedding. So, so that's the story that Jesus is telling, that uh, the bridegroom, he, went, he, he, he was making a journey to the bride's house to pick up the bride and to bring her, and then along the way, he would pick up guests, and they would travel together. Sounds like fun. And somewhere along the way, they would stop, and they would pick up the bridesmaids, and they would all go off to the wedding ceremony. So these bridesmaids are waiting to be picked up. I guess I better be careful with how I say that. Uh, but they're, wedding, they're waiting to be brought along. I'll say it that way. That's the common theme for these bridesmaids. They're all waiting. They're waiting for the moment when the bridegroom will say, Come on, let's go to the wedding. We want you to join us. It's time. Have you noticed that life is, uh, seems to be full of waiting? Uh, when we're younger, it's a big deal to be 12 and not 10. It's a big deal to be 16 and not 14. And it's a big deal to be 21 and not 18 and, and on along. Uh, until you get, I don't know what the magical number is, but we'll say 39. And then it's not a big deal anymore to be 45 or 55, or even, even older, perhaps. Uh, we wait to get out on our own. We wait to be finished school. We wait to be finished university or college. We wait to get married. We wait to have kids. We wait to have the perfect job. We wait and we wait and we wait. We wait for retirement. We wait for things to change. We wait for people to understand us. We wait for uh, relationships to improve. We wait for our health to improve. And maybe you get this right now, this waiting thing. And maybe the reality of waiting is, is heavy upon you these days. Waiting. And would you concur that it's hard? It's, it's hard sometimes to really to be patient and to wait. And these ten bridesmaids are waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. And the below-the-surface meaning is that they're waiting for the return 
of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now really the chapter division of, of chapter 25 is unfortunate uh, because we're not on a new theme. It's really the continuation of chapter 24. And Jesus is putting his, his listeners on, on high alert in chapter 4. He's saying, clean your glasses. Get your focus. Watch for the signs. Look at the fig tree. When its branches bud and leaves begin to form, you know that summer is close at hand. In the same way, when you see all of these things coming to pass, coming to pass you can know his return is very near, even right at the door. And Jesus says, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels of heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. The firefighter doesn't know when the call will come. We don't know when the Lord will signal, I'm coming. I'm calling it now. You don't have 10 minutes. You don't have any warning. I'm on my way. And suddenly the call will come. So as followers, we're all waiting. And we're wondering how to best read the signs that are around us today. So we're like the ten bridesmaids who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. We too are waiting. We're aware that according to what Jesus said, there will come a day when he will wrap up history for us. And he will come and he will pick us up. And he will take us to the greatest feast of all time. It's really indescribable. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And believe him, it's worth waiting for. It's going to be amazing. Don't we have an expression, wait for it, wait for it? It will be worth waiting for. It will wrap up history. And it will usher in the new kingdom. Now, the second movement in the story is simply wise versus foolish. The first one is shared expectation. We're all waiting. But second, some are wise and some are foolish. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive, olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Raise your hand if you... Uh, have ever run out of gas while driving a car? <laughs> oh, quite a few. Quite a few. And I'll bet there would be some interesting stories from you that have raised your hands. Maybe some embarrassing stories. I remember uh, running out of gasoline in beautiful uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The bad thing is I ran out of petrol, but the good thing I was going fast enough that I was able to actually coast all the way, and wouldn't you know it, at the end of the block, there was a service station, so I just had enough power to get up the little cement incline and pull alongside the pumps and then it died. Oh yeah! Thank you Jesus. We should never run out of gas these days, should we? I mean the technology in our cars is something else. You got 50 kilometers left, you got 10 kilometers left and lights are flashing and bells are going off and, and, and you know what? We still try to push the technology, don't we? We, we? we say, I know what that means. I know when all the bells have gone off and all the lights have flashed. I've still, got, I've still got five more kilometers. We can still do this. 
somehow we don't pay attention to the messages. And I know that, that, uh, that, uh, that we're inclined to do that. We get a little foolish, perhaps, with the messages coming our way, a little bit too risky. See, the difference between the wise and the foolish bridesmaids is that the wise had enough oil for their lamps and the foolish did not. That's the difference between the two. And the torches they carried were long, uh, were long sticks. Uh, one end was wrapped with rags and strips of cloth which been, had been soaked in oil. And if you've ever made a torch, uh, something like that, uh, you know that, uh, of course, it's not going to burn very long, maybe 15 minutes. And so to make the torch burn a little bit longer, they would repeatedly uh, pour some oil on those strips of cloth. And that would, uh, that would take them another 15 minutes. So they would carry these vials of oil or a little containers of oil along so that they could continue to walk in the dark. But five of them forgot to bring any extra oil. Or some would suggest... Some forgot to bring any oil. And I think I like that translation the best, that some forgot to bring any oil at all. They had their torches, but they forgot the vessels filled with oil. And it seems a little obvious and a little silly to forget the oil. I mean, it seems a little silly to have a car and not put gas in the tank. But that's why this parable is so dramatic. And so memorable. These foolish bridesmaids are really foolish for forgetting something as simple and essential as oil. Uh, and maybe it's important to say that this is not a moral or it's not a righteous, unrighteous thing that's happening. But the decision to not bring along oil is really at the heart of the parable. All of the bridesmaids were united in their desire and in their purpose to wait for the bridegroom and to journey with him. But five of them understood the need to bring extra oil, and five of them didn't. And so the under-the-surface meaning is that some will get themselves ready for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and some will not be ready. They will be distracted. They will be foolish because they just weren't prepared. Now, I think in a group like this, we probably all agree that Jesus is coming again. That history will end as Jesus describes it. That some will choose to be wise as they embrace that truth. And some will choose to be foolish as they wait for the Lord to come. There are degrees of being unprepared. The bottom line is that five of these beautiful bridesmaids who so much wanted to be with the bride, who so much wanted to walk along the procession route, perhaps even leading the way, made some choices that kept them from the real purpose as bridesmaids. They ran out of oil. We need the oil as we purposely wait for the Lord and his second return. Now, the oil is typically characterized in Scripture as the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the Spirit of God burning in our hearts because He keeps us prepared. 
Let me just come back to that in a moment. The third transition in the parable is the unpredictability of delay. A shared expectation, we're all waiting, but some who are waiting are foolish and some are wise. And third, there is the unpredictability because of delay. Everything doesn't always run on schedule. Have you noticed? You don't have to live very long to experience that reality that things don't always go like we anticipate. So when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. The five wise bridesmaids and the five foolish bridesmaids, they all fell asleep, all of them. Now some would like to suggest that the real problem in the parable is that the bridesmaids were sleeping. There's no sense from our Lord that this was a problem. Hey, we all get tired. We all fall asleep. Would there be anyone in the room who, when you sit down on the couch to watch the news, you start to nod and fall asleep? Is there anyone in your house that does that? Would there be anyone here who turns on a movie and pretty soon you fall asleep? I mean, I love to watch the news. I'm a bit of a news junkie. Not as much as my wife. I, I think I could say that. But uh, I, I like Lisa Laflamme on CTV News. But she puts me to sleep. And it's not her because she's great. She does a wonderful job. It's just that when it's 10 o'clock or when it's 11 o'clock and I sit down on the couch... I, I, something says to me, you should sleep. And, and I have to rewind to kind of, what did I miss there? I was gone during that part. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's just a reality. And it's, it's just a reality that all of the ten bridesmaids got sleepy. They got tired. And Jesus is not telling the story to reprimand anyone who's getting tired. We all get tired. All of us. But how do we handle the delay? I think that the disciples were under the impression that Jesus would return in their day. But he didn't. In fact, a whole 20, 20 centuries have come and gone, and the Lord has not returned. I mean, what could that make you think? It could make you think, well, that's not too urgent. Look at all the time that's passed. Probably won't happen in our lifetime. And none of us know when he's coming back. But Jesus said, stay on the alert. Keep looking around. Keep watching the fig tree. Keep alert to the times and the season. We can continue to see things shaping up. Oh, you say, well, we've said that for years. Things are shaping up. I've heard my parents say that. Things are shaping up. But I can't allow that to distract me from being ready. Because we don't know the Father's timing. We don't know, so we don't want to get caught in the old saying, wow, we've been here before. There's been all kinds of wars before. But we've not exactly been here before. The world has gone through crisis after crisis through the generation. I mean, I wonder what the church was saying in 1939. I bet they were saying things are really shaping up. But the Lord delayed through that huge world event of the Second World War. And we're still waiting. And the world is still in turmoil. 
And just yesterday you saw how Aleppo in Syria is being bombed and bombed again. And there are two million people, another two million people, who are just frantic. They don't have food to eat. They can't stay there because of the bombing. And they're just making their way out. And, and, and no one wants them. They don't, it's, it's an awful situation. But the father has a moment when he says, Now! And it will be sudden. It will be like a thief in the night. And you won't have any warning. So as we wait, we wait with a sense of balance. I mean, it doesn't mean we're constantly thinking of his return. We're not constantly peering up into the heavens like it's, there's an air raid or like there's a tornado coming. We're not walking along checking our watch and saying, well, it could be this hour, it could be next hour. Uh, we don't sing over and over Days of Elijah, but I loved it this morning that we sang that song. Oh, there's a delay. You can be the fireman, ready, but going about normal activities also. Money must be earned. <laughs> Those dishes have to be washed. That garbage has to be taken out. The driveway has to be shoveled a little bit this year. Classes go on as normal. And there are weddings and funerals and texting and emails and phone calls. Do we still phone? And life goes on as normal. But we have a balance as we're in the midst of the delay. Life goes on. Life is normal. And we don't have to feel guilty that we don't think about the Lord's return every moment. Life goes on. But in our hearts, we know and we live in the expectancy of His return. We can still live life fully with our families and our responsibility and still watch. These bridesmaids were, were waiting for the bridegroom coming even while they slept. Friends, we're in that time zone right now and it's called delay. What do we do in the time zone called delay? The season of delay is the age of grace. This is the age of grace. This is the season of bringing in the harvest. This is harvest time. This is Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We are living in the days of grace when God's Spirit is working in our hearts and in our world. How do we live in the season of delay? I asked the Lord that this, this week. Lord, how do we live in the season of delay? And you know, my mind immediately went to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and following, where Paul writes, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. Oh, there it is. Don't live like fools. But like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The oil in the parable is the Holy Spirit. The way to live wisely in this age of grace, in this age of delay, is to ask the Holy Spirit to so fill your life every day. You need him every day. You need him every day. And he is the source of your power. He is the source of your strength. And you have him in your life. You have him in your life. 
as you come to trust Christ. And he's there to give you what you need. You just need to ask him day by day by day. At our conference this past weekend, we just had a tiny introduction to a seminar called Hearing God. You know, all of us really want to hear God. I mean, that's the heart cry of all of us. Does God speak to us? And most of us would like to say, well, of course he does. He, we heard his voice when we first came to know Christ. I mean, we, we heard his voice. But along the, the way, somehow, uh, our, our hearts and minds have been clouded to say, well, I don't know if he really speaks to us. And he does. There is a mature, biblically oriented waiting upon God for his direction. And the precedent is all through the scriptures, starting with little Samuel in 1 Samuel 9.15 when he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then in, uh, in the New Testament, as Paul and Silas were commissioned by that early church in Antioch and, and, and how those early leaders heard the, the whispers of God to say, this, these two men are to go out. And they, they listened for the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit sent them out to be those missionaries uh, in those three missionary journeys. He does speak, and we're always learning how to listen for him, listening and recognizing his voice and allowing him to say the things to us that he wants to say and then being obedient. The fourth movement brings us back to the, the crisis in, in the story, and that's the lack of resources. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to, to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And... And the door was locked. Matthew 25, 6 to 10. Can I just give you a couple of quick observations? Number one, uh, our preparation is an individual matter. When the bridegroom had five uh, came, five had enough oil and five didn't. Now, it's a parable. This is Jesus saying, get your oil and be ready. The oil is the Holy Spirit and a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's an individual response. You know, well, you might say, why didn't the five with oil share with those who didn't have any oil? Because they couldn't. It's talking about salvation. Your, the salvation you receive from Christ and the Holy Spirit in your life is, is individual. Jesus wants us to know that our response to him is individual. My brother can't share his oil with me. I can't share my oil with my sister or my uncle or my friend. Oil is not something that can be borrowed or loaned. The oil of the Holy Spirit is personal and individual, and Jesus invites us all to come. And we come not in groups. We, we come one by one. We come individually. Do you know him? Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Secondly, there's a time that's given to all of us to respond. <clears throat> there's a time that's given to all of us to respond. We can't force anyone to respond, no matter how hard you try, no matter how forceful you become, no matter how persuasive you become. You can't force anybody. That's why we're praying. 
That's why we're about the work of the kingdom, because our time is limited. And that's why we exist as a, as a congregation. And that's why, the, by the grace of God, we have a heart to start another church. Because we all have a limited time. And we don't know what that time looks like. Is, is, it, is it a year? Is it 10 years? Is it 20 years? I mean, is it 100 years? None of us know. But in that time that God gives to us, we're invited so that we can meet the bridegroom and we can spend eternity with him. I, I remember helping a few people into the kingdom just before their, their time in this earth expired. It's, 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 it's such an experience just to know that in, in the age of grace, as the minutes ticked away, they said yes to Jesus Christ. And it's still the age of grace. But when death comes, there's no more time to respond. When the Lord comes on that great and glorious day, the age of delay will be past, the age of grace will be finished. And there's a note of sadness here. I don't know you. I don't know you. Those would be the saddest words ever to hear. We pray that our Savior never has to say those words to any of us. The Lord knows all that he invites to the wedding feast. And he's, he's not exclusive. He invites us all to come. But not all will accept his gracious and generous invitation. So friends, that's why we're, what we're about. That's what we're about as the mission that God has called us to, to be part of in this age of grace. And as we think about communion this morning, you'll recall the, Paul, the words of Paul when he wrote to the Corinthians, for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until, until he comes again. Until he comes again. There'll come a day when we will no longer gather around the table. We'll keep celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus. But when Jesus comes, we won't, we won't any longer have to celebrate here. It'll be a new meal. It'll be a heavenly meal. We'll be gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we are still in the age of grace. There is still time. We are still to be focused and ready and aware of why we're here. Because this is harvest time. And these elements remind us that we are those who belong to Christ and that we're on the journey. And our journey is to first know God and then our journey is to make Him known. The bread that you're going to partake of this morning represents a body that was beaten so badly for us that we can't imagine the suffering. The cup represents the blood that flowed from every wound, from the lashing and the scourging, from the crown of thorns to the nails to the sword. There's no way we can even begin to fathom what he went through. And then the spiritual agony of carrying the sin of every person who has ever lived. Have you, have you noticed how hard it is sometimes just to carry your own sin? Carry your own stuff? Carry your own pain? But then to think that Jesus carried all of yours and all of mine and all of whoever has ever lived in this world. No wonder he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? So this communion time is just a time to once again, I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. It's a time to re-engage. And it's a time to just ready our hearts. So this morning, maybe you need some time to reflect on your life and your readiness and your priorities. Just, just open your heart again this morning to hear him, to thank him for his sacrifice. It, it cost him more than we can describe. This morning, we're, uh, we're just going to change it up a little bit as we have communion, as you can, as you can see.
we invite you to come to the front this morning to pick up the bread and the cup and then to take these elements back to the place where you are seated and just to meditate there and to have some moments. Uh, and we're going to just invite you to come out the, the right side and just come around each one and back in on the left side to kind of make it a little more orderly. And then we'll partake after everyone has uh, received and has seated, then we'll partake together. And, and friends, don't feel a pressure to come uh, because just everybody's coming. It's all very personal. And if you're not in a place where you've said yes to Jesus to be your Savior, just feel comfortable to remain. And if you know the Lord, you've committed your life to Him, perhaps even going through a real deep struggle these days, but you know Him, come and take the bread and the cup and give thanks to Jesus. So Pastor Ed's going to come and he's going to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread and for the cup. Uh, and, uh, and then I'm just going to give a word of instruction.